This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, we're back for the final episode of the first season of Breaking Pod. I'm joined, as always, by a good friend, Josh Goldman. Josh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, Zach. It's it's finally feeling like summertime here in the Washington, D.C. area, so I'm excited for that. We have been to the pool a couple times. My young son loves the pool, so we're ready to go. How are you doing? Doing great. As you know, we have completed the move to Colorado, or I guess it's probably misleading to say we've completed it because... We don't have any of our stuff, which is why you're looking at me laying on the on, on a floor of a bedroom here uh, as I record this. I have a mobile mic, so hopefully the sound quality is up to snuff. Uh, I have no furniture yet. We have an air mattress upstairs and some sleeping bags for the kids. So we're uh, we're kind of roughing it, but it's all right. I don't know when the movers are going to get here with our stuff, but I know that you know all about recording from a bedroom floor, so... You're the pro here. It's just like the roles are reversed, though. That's right. Yeah. And you know what? You have uh, four walls around you and a roof over your head. And so, you know, that's that. Yeah. So it's good, a good enough for now. I, yeah. I can definitely count my blessings for sure. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, Josh, I know that uh, we talked about this already. I do want to sort of tell our listeners what we have ahead of us on Breaking Pod. So this will wrap up the first season of Breaking Bad as we continue our format that we've been doing for the entire first season. And that is basically a chronological recap of the episode and then talking through some of the main events and scenes and sequences in depth as we go. And we've been doing this because some people who are listening to this show haven't seen the haven't seen Breaking Bad before. And we want to make sure that we're giving all of our listeners a really good understanding of what's going on as we talk about it. But going forward, once we start talking about the second season and into the third, fourth, so on for the rest of the show. We're no longer going to do these chronological recaps, which will make the episodes, our episodes, our podcast episodes, a little bit shorter. Instead, we're just going to be talking about some of the main themes, sequences, things that we need to talk about in the show. And so I think we'll, we'll actually be able to better evaluate it a little bit from an artistic standpoint in that sense, while sort of packaging that into a shorter podcast episode. So hopefully our listeners will appreciate that change. I think it'll be um, really fun and exciting but it makes it that much more important that our listeners are watching the show or at least have watched the show in the past as they listen to this podcast so with that let's go ahead and start with the uh the final episode of this season episode seven a no rough stuff type deal is the title of this episode and uh, i think that's an allusion to the deal that uh, we're about to see them uh, them being walt and jesse make with Tuco, the crazy drug dealer who we already talked about in the last episode. And Josh, you've mentioned this already, but this is the, only the seventh episode in the season, which is kind of strange that the season is wrapping up with only seven episodes, but it's because that season, was it 2008, Josh? Yeah, that's right. Was uh, was the one in which we had the TV writer's strike. And so the writers were on strike and there was no one to write the show. So they wrapped up the show with only seven episodes. I think it's it's interesting though, because it's sort of appropriate in a way because in you know ancient and scriptural numerology, seven is a number of completions. So it does feel like it's a it's an adequate wrap on the show. I don't feel like we walk away from season seven thinking, "Wow, this was not an incomplete. This was not a complete season. When there was so much more to do." We we see we see the completion of I think sort of phase one of the Walt's transformation that is the central element of the show. And so in that sense, I think the the strike shortened season sort of works for Breaking Bad. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're totally right. And I think that the other thing that we have 
to say for the shortened season is that this is a little fun tidbit. I don't know if you knew this, Zach, and maybe some of our listeners didn't know this as well, but Vince Gilligan, the creator, had initially considered, and strongly considered at that, killing off the character of Jesse Pinkman after the first season. Oh, wow. I had no idea. I can't imagine what the show would be if he had done that. Totally different. And because they were in a shortened season, the and the fan reaction was so great to Jesse that he decided that he would keep him on and try to develop the character a little bit more. So I think had we seen a full first season, we might not have seen Jesse Pinkman past season one. So we can wow. count our blessings that he that is he incredible. lasted past season one. I really do think, I'm not exaggerating here, Jesse's a huge part of why I stuck with this show the first time I watched it. Because as we've said multiple times already, the first season is pretty slow, especially when you get to like the, you know, episodes two through four or so. They start to move really slowly and it was only the character of Jesse that kept me engaged and interested as I was watching it the first time. So it's to Jesse's character that I owe my appreciation for the show more broadly, even if after the first season, my interest in it expanded to other characters. Yeah, and I think that the other thing about the character of Jesse, as we've talked about in the first six episodes of our podcast here, is that he really is like a perfect foil for Walter White. And I think it will continue to be that way as the show progresses in later seasons. And it's interesting because when you think about the structure of a TV show or movie, I think most often you think about conflict and it's easiest to think about conflict between someone who's good and someone who's bad. And there definitely is that within Breaking Bad. But I think there's an even more intimate conflict that we see between Walt and Jesse that really is the heart of the show as it moves forward. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, let's go ahead and do our chronological recap of this episode and talk about some things along the way. This last episode of the first season starts with a meeting at Walt's school where he is the chemistry teacher. And this is, of course, in the aftermath of Hank Schrader, Walt's brother-in-law, the DE agent, revealing to Walt and thus the school administration that uh, the equipment used to make make some of this new meth was, it looks like, uh, stolen from the lab of, uh, of the high school, the chemistry lab. So the school administration is talking to some concerned parents about this, talking to them about how um, a janitor was arrested. That's the janitor Hugo, who we already talked about in the last episode, one of the truly good characters in the show so far, maybe one of the only like fully good characters as far as we can tell. The guy who was being so kind to Walt while Walt was reeling from chemo, he would give him a stick of mint gum after every time he vomited. Really, really nice guy, but he was um, arrested on suspicion of stealing the equipment. And then when the DEA realized he uh, had nothing to do with it, they still pointed out to the school that they had, he had a, a, a record for, I think, like marijuana possession. It was you know, a very small time record. And so the school fired him. Um, and so we see, we see already some serious consequences of Walt's actions for poor, poor janitor Hugo. So anyway, the, the school administration is talking with all these concerned parents about the latest developments in this case. Walt uh, and Skyler are there. And there's this really strange scene. I don't know what, what you made of it, Josh, but uh, Walt basically begins to begins to reach down uh, into Skyler's crotch area. It looks like he clearly has sex on his mind and it looks like he's pleasuring her. It's kind of an awkward drawn out scene. And the look on his face is disturbing because it doesn't look like it doesn't look like he's driven by love here. It looks like he's just driven by like just I don't know, craven desire or something. And then he's finally snapped back to reality by the principal who's saying, "Walt, Walt," and you know, we sort of uh zone back into the conversation and she's been talking to him trying to ask him to explain to everyone what, what exactly was stolen. So he starts doing that, and then 
um, while he's explaining, while he's going on to list all of the things that were stolen from the lab, we uh, we sort of cut forward in a scene to the to right after the meeting when Walt and Skyler are having very energetic sex in Walt's car right in the school parking lot. And this, I have a nit to pick here, Josh, because that car is bouncing so much. Have you ever seen a car bounce that much from anything? Because <laughs> I sure haven't. Definitely not. And it's like, what kind of suspensions are on this Pontiac yeah. Aztec <laughs> that it's just like, it's like bouncing up and down. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, totally ridiculous. But I do think the interesting thing from this scene is that right afterward, after um, they finish, Skyler says to him, where did that come from? And why did it feel so damn good? And then Walt's response and this was it. He just deadpans because it was illegal. <laughs> and I thought that was really interesting, Josh, because this, I think, is one of the two central elements of Walt's personal philosophy that we start to see take shape. One is basically things are more fun and more exciting if they're not allowed. And that goes, I think, to one of these themes we've talked about previously in this season about how Walt feels like he's he's never been able to make his own choices. And so for him, being able to choose to act outside of the law, outside of the bounds of what's acceptable or what's permissible, that's exciting and hence fun and worth doing. And then I think the second thing that we're, we're also going to see more of in this episode is that um, basically the ends justify the means. That you, know, you can break the law, you can do those things if you're doing it for what you consider to be the right reasons. And so I think those two central elements of his philosophy are what we sort of see more clearly defined in this episode, which is one reason why I think it sort of works as a as a capstone to the first season. Yeah, that's totally true. And I think that it's interesting, you know, you mentioned the scene during the school meeting about how he's like reaching down and touching Skylar. And I think he's doing it mainly because he wants to see if he can get away with it. I mean, there's really yeah. no other explanation for why he would choose to do that. I mean, it's a really kind of creepy thing to do in a public setting. I mean, it's, it's fine. They're married, but in a public sure, setting, sure. it's just totally weird. And I think Skylar is especially surprised because this is not the Walter White that she's known over the past however many years, maybe ever. We don't really know. Right. And not even just any public setting. It's not like they're out on a, on a date in a bar or something like they're at a, basically a PTA meeting at their kid's school, you know, just a very inappropriate setting for what he's doing. So I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, so after that opening scene where we see him basically say that it was, it was great because it was illegal. Yikes. Um, then we see Walt going to see Jesse. Now recall, Jesse is recovering from being assaulted by Tuco, that crazy drug dealer. Tuco hit him, I don't know, three, four or five times really hard. Definitely gave him a concussion. Jesse was, uh, unconscious in the hospital for a while. Walt actually explains, you know, I, I went to go see you in the hospital, but, but you were out. So Walt says, how are you feeling? Jesse responds, about as good as you look because it's the first time he's seen Walt with a shaved head. So then he adds in, uh, in typical Jesse style, geez, you look like Lex Luthor. <laughs> um, and then Walt explains, uh, well, I went to see Tuco after he beat you up. Uh, I went to go see him to set things straight. And Jesse just doesn't buy it because this is his mild-mannered chemistry teacher who, even though he looks like Lex Luthor, Jesse doesn't think he's capable of much, much more than that. And he certainly doesn't think he's capable of facing down Tuco. So this is the conversation that we are about to hear right here. That is 17.5, your half of the 35,000. Plus there's an extra 15 in there. It's all yours. You've earned it. You got this money from Tuco. Yeah. So Tuco gave you this is what you're saying. You made a deal. You made a deal? That's right. Wait, how, why would you make a deal with that scumbag? 
You see what he did to me? Because I think that we can do business together. We came to uh, an understanding. No way, man, okay? No understanding. Take a look at the money in your hand. Now, just imagine making that every week. All right, Josh. So I think this is kind of interesting here because we see Jesse obviously very hesitant to go back into this. He is pretty mad that Tuco beat him up. I also would be as well. I would think this is not a man to be reasoned with because Jesse did try to be pretty reasonable with him when he went to get his money and Tuco just beat him up. And Walt has uh, no second thoughts about going back to Tuco, setting the record straight, making a deal to make a lot of meth, two pounds a week, right? And um, that uh, that's really hard. Jesse gets mad here because he says, why would you make a deal? And then Walt says, look at all the money in your hands. So it's Walt who's appealing directly to the profit-making side of this as the justification. And maybe it's just to get Jesse on board because he thinks he needs Jesse. But um, the interesting thing here is that this isn't. A, it doesn't seem to be about Walt just providing for his family right now. Like maybe it is, and that's just the unspoken thing that he's not telling Jesse because he knows Jesse doesn't care about that. But I just found that a little bit interesting. Yeah, and I think the other thing to note here is that Walt again doesn't seem to be thinking about the ramifications of doing business with someone like Tuco. I mean, he was able to stand up to him and was successful, but I think Jesse is coming from a lot of experience in this world. And, you know, sometimes one side will get the upper hand on the other side, but it'll usually swing back the other way at some point. And Jesse not only knows that firsthand from being beaten to a pulp by Tuco, but he's probably seen it happen with friends or other associates in his past life. And so I think he is trying to be more reasonable and trying to use his knowledge of the drug trade to say, look, this is not a good idea. They're there might be another way or there has to be another way or maybe we just don't need to do this anymore. And then Walt is solely coming from it from the sense of, I want to make this money. Right, exactly, exactly. And so he she tries to convince Jesse to do this. And Jesse maybe starts to come around, that is a lot of money, et cetera. But then Walt explains that all they have to do is make two pounds of pseudo a week. And for perspective, what they were doing before, what was basically taking them you know, all weekend to cook, et cetera, was half a pound a week. And Jesse totally balks at this, and he's actually shocked that Walt made a deal with Tuco to make two pounds a week, because in Jesse's mind, the problem is not just the time it takes to cook the stuff. That's actually the easy part. The problem is the, uh, the pseudoephedrine precursor that Jesse is responsible for getting. And so up to this point, Walt has really needed Jesse for two things. One is to do the street dealing, right? And two is to get the precursor that, that Walt needs, because Walt knows the chemistry. He can turn pseudoephedrine into meth, no problem. But he can't walk into Walgreens and buy 100 boxes of pseudo, right? He needs Jesse for that. So, so that's what he needs Jesse for. Now, Jesse balks at this because he says, basically, there's no, no way I can get that much pseudo for the meth that you want to make. You know, already for just a half a pound a week, I was needed to drive 200 miles each way to Las Cruces to meet up with um, what he calls his Smurfs. Those are basically the guys who go into the, you know, the pharmacies and get, you know, two to three boxes of uh, pseudo fed at a time. And that alone, you know, takes Jesse all week to get enough just for half a pound. So he's saying there's no way we can do two pounds a week. And that's the problem, Walt, with your with your brilliant plan. Now, I think I had one interesting thought here, which is that um, and maybe we should, maybe it might make more sense to talk about this later in the episode, Josh. But I think this is a problem, the, the pseudo supply problem. This is a problem that Walt's going to solve in this episode. And it makes me wonder once he solves it. 
why does he need Jesse around? I think that might be worth pondering a little bit. Because like I said, Jesse was the street dealer. We, we heard Walt already say, Jesse, I don't want to ever see this stuff on the street. I don't want to see the people on the street who buy it. I just, I just cook and you sell. And he also needed Jesse to get the pseudo. But once he doesn't need the pseudo, once he solves that supply problem, what does he need Jesse for? And like, they're going to talk a little bit more in the episode later. Maybe this goes to your point about Vince Gilligan taking Jesse out of the show and then changing his mind. Like maybe this was all part of the plan along, along, along the way. Walt was going to figure out he didn't need Jesse. And then Jesse was going to be a, you know, a, an auxiliary character who Gilligan didn't need anymore on the show. But it just made me, made me stop and think a little bit. Yeah, I think it's probably worth saving for a little bit later in the conversation. But to that point, I think that you can see here where if Jesse had been killed off in this episode or, you know, at the end of this season in in an episode eight that we never got to see in season one, then I think that Walt's journey would have been different because Walt would have used Jesse's death, probably at the hands of Tuco, I imagine, or some other drug dealer to sort of fuel his next stage. And so Jesse is going to then serve a different purpose, which we can talk about a little bit later in relation to why Walt is going to keep him around after all. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. We'll just table that till a later conversation in this episode. Okay, so the next scene, Walt and Skyler are meeting with the oncologist. He's very pleased with Walt's demeanor. He says basically he's tolerating the chemo well so far. Skyler is optimistic that the chemo is working because she tells the oncologist that Walt is a little bit more frisky lately. Um, but the oncologist says, well, that's great. I'll take that. But you know, really, it probably just means we have the sort of anti-chemo, not anti-chemo, but the um, the sort of therapeutic meds to deal with the chemo effects. He, we have those sort of dialed in correctly. He says we really won't know if the if the chemo is working until we do another PET scan after the first round is done. And then Skyler asks about some Eastern or alternative healing techniques. You can tell from Walt's look that he's very skeptical of this question. And the oncologist sort of sort of pans it, but says he's okay with it because it can improve a patient's you know outlook and perspective as long as it doesn't interfere with the chemo treatment. Yeah, I always get the sense that you know when doctors or physicians are asked about this Eastern medicine stuff that they I always get the sense that they get really annoyed by it because they're like, I spent years and years studying medicine <laughs> yeah, studying how to and do you're this. like, should I go take some herbs and, you know, get acupuncture or something? Yeah. Do you think echinacea would help? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the doctor's like, okay, yeah, okay. Go to four years of medical school and then do your residency and then, you know, then come back and tell me if you think echinacea is going to solve this problem. I just feel like right. in real life, doctors and scientists tend to get more annoyed when when people who've read something on the internet are like, maybe Eastern healing might work. Well, I think this guy's bedside manner actually is pretty good. And yeah, totally. I do think I do think his annoyance was palpable. He tried to hint at the fact that it would do nothing while also like not totally discouraging it if it would help help him and Skyler's outlook, you know? So right. I think and I guess Skyler even picked up on that because she was like, so you're saying it's all fake? And he was like, what I'm saying is it can help tremendously if it improves, you know, perspective and attitude and orient, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. orientation and things like that. So I, I got the impression that he'd like been asked this question before. You know, it's probably a lot of people who are in, in that office and think like, doctor, what about, you know, what about this alternative thing we heard about in Chile or whatever? Yeah, um, exactly. So it seemed like it seemed like it was a question that he had had before. <laughs> yeah, totally. OK, so let's uh, go on to the next one. Now we're in a car junkyard. Uh, this is a place that Walt has chosen as the location for his first production handoff to Tuco. So he and Jesse are in the junkyard. And uh, I actually thought this was hilarious. It's kind of a little nugget that's like it's it's buried and you kind of miss it if you don't pay attention. 
But Jesse thinks the locale choice is ridiculous. He's like, why didn't we just go to the mall? You know, like, couldn't we do this stuff in a mall? And then when Tuco arrives, he says, hey, what are we doing way the hell out here? What, they close the mall or something? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so so Walt, who's now going by Heisenberg, if you recall from the previous episode, uh, you know, Heisenberg has chosen what he thinks is a really appropriate location for an illicit handoff. And Tuco and Jesse are like, dude, we just do this stuff at the mall. Like, why, why are you being so dramatic about it? And uh, part of me made it made part of me wonders, like, is this part of Walt's whole like it's more fun if it's a legal thing? Like, does it make it feel like he's pushing the boundaries if he has to choose this place out in the austere New Mexico wilderness where he's surrounded by, you know, decaying cars and things like that? I don't know. But I thought it was interesting. I mean, I think on a practical level, like, I think Walt has a point here. I mean, who's going to hand over two pounds of of meth in in a mall? I mean, like, if you're slipping like a little baggie with a couple grams in it, maybe, you know, you could do that discreetly in in like a mall bathroom. But, you know, think about it. There's like security people at the mall. There's lots and lots of people. So I'm not hating on his choice of a remote location here. Like there there are practical reasons why he might have chosen something. And then there's also probably the the thought that, you know, I've seen it in a bunch of movies that, you know, drug deals happen in junkyards. So let's do it there. So it's probably a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it is interesting that you mentioned the baggy thing because they're supposed to be handing over two pounds to Tuco. But as Walt explains to Tuco or tries to explain, due to production problems, they've only managed to make 0.53 pounds of meth. So that's, uh, you know, missing their mark by, uh, by a lot. So Tuco is upset with this very clearly. Um, and he only wants to give them a fraction of the money that he promised them because they didn't produce enough. But then Walt drives a hard bargain and he convinces Tuco to make what he calls a capital investment to basically fund their supply of more precursor, more equipment, etc. So that he says they can get out ahead of the supply problem. So we don't understand fully what Walt's plan is here. We're about to in the next scene. But um, Walt suggests they meet next week and provide 1.875 pounds to basically make up for the uh, will sort of bridge the gap between what they can currently make and, and getting up to the full capacity too. So then Tuco says, no, two full pounds, you know, that's the deal. <laughs> and so um, now it seems like Tuco is driving the hard bargain and Walt looks at him and says, can you handle four pounds? <laughs> and Jesse, uh, Jesse looks at him. I thought this was like a, maybe a little bit overplayed in this actual scene, Josh, but he like kind of slides the sunglasses down his nose and just stares at Walt like, what in the world are you doing? And it also kind of angers Tuco because he feels like he's been, uh, I don't know, he's been sort of outdone in the negotiation, but he's satisfied with four pounds. So then he tosses all of the money on the ground, uh, dumps it out of the bag, gets in his car uh, and drives away. And then back in Jesse's kitchen now, as Jesse and Walt are sitting there sort of planning out how they're going to make four pounds, Jesse is totally freaking out. He has no idea how they're going to be able to make four pounds of meth per week. As I mentioned, he was barely able to get enough precursor to make one eighth of that amount when they were doing half a pound a week. And now Walt has effectively promised a sociopathic, crazy uh, guy that they're going to make four pounds of meth per week. So Jesse's really scared. But then Walt explains how they'll do it. And I'm going to play that scene right here. Four pounds, two pounds wasn't bad enough. We're talking two, 300 boxes of sinus pills. There ain't that many Smurfs in the world. We're not going to need pseudoephedrine. We're going to make phenylacetone in a tube furnace. Then we're going to use reductive amination to yield methamphetamine, four pounds. So no pseudo. No pseudo. 
So you do have a plan. Yeah, Mr. White. Yes, science. Yes, yeah, science, Josh. Uh, so Jesse's pretty pumped about this. I don't have a PhD in chemistry, so I don't fully understand at this point what Walt is talking about and reductive animation, and phenylacetone and all of that. But what is clear is that Walt has a plan that will no longer require them to just be using boxes of Sudafed to make meth. So Jesse's really excited about this change in plans. Um, and maybe maybe this is maybe now we're sort of about to be at the at the part where we can talk about what Walt needs Jesse for, Josh, because um, after this, uh, Jesse says, you know, yay, science. Awesome. Let's do this. And then Walt starts making a big uh, shopping list, all the stuff that he needs Jesse to to go get. And it's it's laboratory equipment and some other chemical precursors and things like that. Um, and so he says, basically, Jesse, I need you to go get all this stuff. And then um, Jesse, at this point, changes his mind because he, he tries to read the list and realizes he can't pronounce half of the stuff on the list. He has no idea what it is. He just feels like he's in over his head. And he's like, you know what? I'm done. And uh, and that's the scene that, that I'm about to play right here. No, you know what? Count me out. All right. I'm leaving town. I'm moving to like Oregon or something. This is Jesse, just- Jesse, Jesse, listen to me. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. What are you doing? This is the first day of the rest of your life, but what kind of life will it be, huh? Will it be a life of of fear, of, oh no, 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 I can't do this, of never once believing in yourself? I don't know. Listen, these things, we need them. And only you can get them for us. So Josh, do you think this is a good good place to talk about why Walt needs Jesse around. Yeah, I think that this, it makes sense to talk about it here. So two things worth pointing out. One is, uh, if, if to our listeners, if you heard that there, uh, early in the scene, Jesse said, what are you doing? And that's because you can't see it unless you watch the show. But Walt is, is putting his hand on Jesse's arm. And what I have in mind here when I was watching this was this is almost like a father talking to his son, right? And um, he's kind of giving Jesse a pep talk. Like, what kind of life do you want to live? And this is the kind of, this is the kind of pep talk that um, a dad might give his son if like his son is like, dad, I, I'm having a hard time in college. I want to quit or come home early and I'm, I'm going to join the family plumbing business, you know, and the dad might be like, son, I've been a plumber for a long time and I wish I got an education. What kind of life do you want to live? Right. Like that's the that's the sort of tone of this conversation. But yeah, this is a much darker conversation. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you <laughs> exactly. don't want to be a drug drug dealer, drug maker, but you can be right. And then the second thing is, he says that Jesse is the only one who can get that stuff. But I really don't understand why that's the case. Like, why can't Walt get it? Because he's the one who, I mean, he made the list. He knows what all that stuff is. Jesse's never heard of or seen that stuff before. So it's going to take Jesse a, a, an awful lot of figuring out just to just to get everything on the list. So does Walt actually need Jesse here? Or is this like he he just wants Jesse around? He wants to have someone to boss around? He wants to have someone to be his partner in crime with? It's It's hard for me to come up with a good reason here but it's weird that walt is being so sort of fatherly but in a perverse sense just to keep jesse around what do you think i think it might be a little bit more complicated than that and it actually might be a little bit sadder than than the reasons you've suggested and i think that the main reason that i see from this is that i think that walt wants to keep jesse around as a fall guy like i think that he wants someone who has a bad rap you know, in the community as sort of like a druggie and, you know, that if it all comes crumbling down, that Walt can pin the blame on someone else. And I think that 
Jesse is sort of like the perfect person there. If Walt is out doing it by himself, you know, there's there's no one else to blame but him. But with Jesse around, I think that he has a great scapegoat to say, you know, w- whether or not he's able to convince people that you know, Jesse got him into the business or blackmailed him or whatever, he can at least say, look, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just a, I'm just a, you know, a, a father, a 50 year old guy who teaches chemistry in high school. I don't know anything. And I was coerced into doing this. And, and it's really this guy, he's the mastermind. And, you know, who are you going to believe Walt or who you've, who's the stand up citizen in the community or Jesse, who's this sort of down, you know, down and out kind of guy who's sort of a deadbeat to most people in the community. So that's my take on the whole thing. And I think it's probably a combination of of everything. But that was my read on why he's keeping him around at this point, which is a really sad way of doing it, because it makes his his sort of speech to him. What kind of life are you going to live even more, you know, manipulative than than it was before, because it's supposed to come off as like this heartfelt thing. And then you realize that maybe he's only doing it to save his own butt if it comes totally self-serving. Yeah. That's a good point. And it's also worth pointing out, too, that this is not the first time that, you know, or this is not the last time in this show that Jesse's going to try to get out. Right. And every time he does, it's Walt who prevents him from doing so. It's really it is sad for Jesse. And I think it's also interesting because we've already seen Jesse's real father. We've seen Jesse's real father have, um, you know, I guess not not quite a similar, not quite like a mirror image talk of this, but you know, it, he's he's uh, talked to Jesse and said basically, we can't, we love you so much, but we can't have you in our house anymore if you're going to go down this path, this life of you know drugs. And this is Walt, the sort of anti father figure, who's saying like, what kind of life do you want to live? You know, don't you want to keep making drugs and stay in the drug life? So it's really it is it is kind of interesting and sad. Um, the next scene is at the White Household. We're at a baby shower for baby Holly and Skylar, or um, uh, Marie says the baby's name is going to be Esmeralda, so she keeps saying that to the camcorder. Skylar opens her gifts, and uh, the, the, the only notable one is this beautiful but completely over-the-top and ridiculous baby tiara from Marie, which Marie explains is 14-karat gold and a lot of cubic zirconia. Uh, Skylar appraises it as at least a $500 piece of jewelry, which is obviously insane. These people aren't, I mean, they're like, you know, middle class. They're not flush with cash. I mean, Marie is married to a DEA agent and she's a medical tech. They don't have a ton of extra cash lying around. So um, it's, a, it's kind of a strange scene. We're not sure what to make of it. And then when it happens, Hank asks Walt if he has any drink stronger than beer. So the two guys head out to the back porch for a drink. And I think this scene is really important. So they're out on the back porch. Hank breaks out a cigar and it happens to be a Cuban. Uh, which Walt finds uh, fascinating. And this is the brief exchange that happens right after that. Now, I was under the impression that these were illegal. Hmm? (laughs) Yeah, well, sometimes forbidden fruit tastes the sweetest, doesn't it? So, Josh, I have in mind the line from Walt to Skylar in the very beginning of the episode that, you know, it was fun. It was so good because it was illegal, right? That's what uh that's what hank is espousing here as well forbidden fruit sometimes tastes the sweetest and it's interesting because i mean hank's a good guy and hank is not a uh, a consummate lawbreaker he's not uh he's not going out there and cooking meth i mean he has a cuban cigar which um is not a it's not a capital crime right but walt clearly espouses this idea as well because in the 
conversation that elapses after that, Walt kind of launches this reflective monologue about how some things that used to be illegal, like alcohol, for example, no longer are. And then he speculates about how some things that are currently illegal might not be in the future. And basically says it's all arbitrary, right? It's arbitrary what is and is not legal now. And so Hank asks him, like, what? Like, what are you talking about that might be legal in the future? Pot, cocaine, heroin? And uh, obviously, Walt is talking about meth, but he doesn't come out and say it. He just says, yeah, I'm just saying it's arbitrary. And I think this is, I mean, going back to the sort of central elements of Walt's personal philosophy here that we see uncovered in this episode, Walt, uh, I think, has made himself the arbiter of right and wrong in a way. And he's convinced himself that these laws that, um, that are designed to protect people from things like cocaine and heroin and meth are completely arbitrary. And so if he believes that, then he can convince himself that his supply of these things uh, in defiance of an arbitrary law for people who otherwise want to pay for it is not a bad thing if he's doing it, especially in the service of his family. Um, and that's obviously a problem. Well, I think the really interesting thing to note here is that Walt is talking about what's legal and illegal and not really talking about what's right and wrong. Because I think right. if you think about in the history of just the United States, for example, sometimes things that are legal are not necessarily right. And sometimes things that are illegal aren't necessarily wrong or inherently right or inherently wrong. You know, you, you take the example of, you know, when alcohol was outlawed, you know, there's there's really nothing bad about a drink of alcohol. You know, medically, it's not going to hurt anybody if you have a beer in your house, for example. But at one time, that was illegal. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that at the time it was it's, it's wrong. So I think that this goes back to the central idea that Walt doesn't really have or doesn't exhibit any sort of moral center. Like he doesn't seem to have, you know, come down on one side of like, this is morally good or morally wrong. Instead, right. he just thinks about it in sort of black and white terms of this is legal or illegal, and maybe that can change in the future. But in reality, something like meth or heroin or cocaine that are very serious drugs that can have very serious medical consequences will probably always be wrong. Um, and, right. and yet he's saying, you know, what if it's legal one day? I, I think he's missing the point. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think he's wanting to he's wanting to um, sort of equate right and wrong with legal and illegal because in his mind, if if it's all fluid, then he can be the arbiter of all of it. Right, exactly. So then we then we cut away from that scene, uh, and then we see Walt that night approaching Skyler about the possibility of him taking a week or a long weekend by himself to go to a Navajo sweat lodge in rural New Mexico, and <laughs> Skyler's really surprised by this because Walt is the scientific chemistry man who never bought into alternative or Eastern medicine. And now he's asking about going to a sweat lodge to do some healing. And he's like, I'm not saying I believe it, but you know, maybe it could be good. She's all about it because she thinks there might be something to it. Um, he's obviously not interested in receiving treatment from a Navajo shaman. He just wants to, he wants an excuse to be gone for a whole weekend while he cooks up four pounds of meth. Um, but Skylar okays it. So that's the plan. He's going to cook meth under cover of a, a pretend Navajo sweat lodge trip. But there's still the problem with the pseudo that, um, that Jesse pointed out. Walt's solution is to use an alternative precursor named methylamine um, and, and use the reductive a animation process, et cetera, to, um, to basically turn it into meth. Uh, and that's an industrial chemical that can be, can be manipulated in the same way that the uh, pseudoephedrine can be. Um, but when Walt and Jesse have a meeting of the minds, 
um, later that week, Jesse has gotten everything on the shopping list except for the methylamine because he found guys willing to get it for him, but they wanted $10,000 uh, $10, to do it. And Jesse said he didn't have that money anymore after blowing all the other money on the equipment. And Josh, I was going to ask you, it's not clear to me, was Jesse buying all this stuff just out of his cut? Because I don't remember seeing a, an instance where Walt said, here's my cut of the money, go buy the stuff. So is Walt then maybe using Jesse for his cut of the money to buy the necessary supplies? Is that what the shopping was about? I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. It's hard to tell exactly like how much the equipment and everything that Jesse had to buy actually cost. Like I don't right. I don't see it costing, you know, $17,500, which was his cut, I guess of the the uh, money that Walter got from Tuco, but it definitely seems like he might be using him at this point for the money. But it also might be that Walt already used his cut of the money to pay for his chemotherapy. And so right. he might just okay. not have it. I mean, it, it's it's left unsaid, but that would be my interpretation yeah. that he's using it for his health and he's expecting Jesse to sort of pick up the slack. And, you know, in return, Walt is going to provide them a solution that will allow them to cook meth for the foreseeable future. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, so when Jesse says, you know, I don't have the money to buy this, buy the methylamine, um, but these guys are going to take it from a chemical storage facility south of town. Uh, Walt figures out what it is. Um, and then he he spots a, like an old Etch-A-Sketch in Jesse's garage. And somehow MacGyver's the, uh, the contents of the Etch-A-Sketch into thermite, which is a, a really um, high burn point pyrotechnic that can melt through any metal, basically. And so uh, we take from this that they're going to go get the methylamine themselves. And then we cut to Skylar, who is returning that $500 tiara to the jewelry store. When she does um, and says she does not have a receipt, the manager then asks the security guard to escort Skyler to his office as he calls the police because he says the bracelet was shoplifted last week um, by a tall blonde woman. Now, Marie's not blonde. Maybe she was wearing a wig or something, but we're, we're to assume here that Marie has shoplifted the bracelet. And the manager obviously suspects Skyler of stealing the tiara and then trying to return it for cash. Um, but Skyler refuses to give up Marie, just saying that it was a gift. And she extricates herself from the situation by pretending that she's going into labor. <laughs> and uh, Josh, I know that, you know, you and I both have kids. We've seen uh, labor. We haven't experienced it, obviously, for ourselves, but we have seen it before. And I just feel like these guys, they must not have or something, even though the one guy does have a, at least one daughter. But uh, her performance of going into labor is so obviously fake. <laughs> and, and yet it throws them like really off guard and they totally fall for it. It reminds me of this episode of Modern Family I saw where Sophia Vergara's character splashes water from a water bottle on the ground and then pretends that her water has broken and <laughs> um, gets out of a situation that way too by pretending she's going into labor. Yeah, I think it's probably one of those things where the two men in the situation are like, well, if we say that she's lying and she actually is going into labor, this is not going to be a good look for us. So yeah, maybe we'll have to, sorry. yeah, maybe we'll have to just go with it. You know, because yeah. otherwise we could be in real hot water if we deny someone who's actually going into labor, a hospital or an ambulance or something. Right. So, yeah, it's it's definitely fake. And for anybody who has children or knows someone who's gone into labor, yeah, definitely fake. So then, But she gets out of that situation. She calls Marie, says, call me right away. And then we cut from that to presumably that night or, or a night soon after that when Walt and Jesse under cover of darkness and wearing um, goofy-looking ski masks, <laughs> break into that uh, facility that has the chemicals. They lock the security guard into a porta potty while he's relieving himself. It's a funny scene. And then they melt the door lock with that MacGyvered thermite, only to find that the only methylamine in the entire uh, storage hangar <laughs> is 
in these uh what are they 200 gallon drums or like the big oil drums dude. yeah they're huge uh, the 200 gallon yeah yeah uh so not gallon jug jugs so they have to then awkwardly carry it out of the compound not, not even rolling it they're just carrying it they're, they didn't use a dolly or a hand truck or anything while the alarm blares and the security guard is, is pounding on the door of the porta potty trying to get out uh it's a pretty humorous scene and hank will find the humorous as well when he watches it uh watches the footage uh, i think in episode one of season two so we'll get to that point eventually but they They've gotten the methylamine. Throughout this whole episode, when I was rewatching it, this whole thing just struck me as really goofy. I mean, and I know that it was probably done for humor. You know, the show is pretty dark overall, but, you know, yeah. this just seems like a real lapse in judgment from Walt, who's been very careful up to this point not to expose himself. And then he's breaking into a, you know, chemical compound facility himself with a ski mask on. I mean, the whole thing just seems really short-sighted and dumb. You know, like it's it's um it's a wonder they didn't get caught. I mean, they don't. It really is. I mean, even the even the you know locking the guy in the porta potty. It's not like that lock was foolproof. He could have, I think, if he really had thrown his weight against the door of that, like you know, the hinges or something would have given, and and they would have been toast. So I totally agree with you. It does seem like a pretty reckless thing. And they didn't have a great plan going in there at all, as is evidenced by the fact that they got in there and they're like, where are the gallon jugs? There are no, okay, well, how do we get out a, a big drum? You know, we're not going to try to use a dolly. We're just going to try to carry it, you know? It just seems like maybe Walt would have said, all right, Jesse, you go with uh, with Badger and Skinny Pete and you guys take care of this and, yeah, and I'll throw them, exactly. you know, 1,000 each or, you know, a, a bit of money. And, yeah, yeah. And I don't want to be a part of this, but, you know, right. I, I know it was done for humorous purposes, but... It just seems really strange that Walt would engage in something this blatantly out in the open when yeah. before he's done everything he can to like go as far away from humanity as possible to do his illicit and illegal deeds. That's a good point. Uh, and it, it does it does sort of seem out of place. It's out of character for Walt. Maybe it's a maybe it is just a funny insert into the plot. Maybe it's a sign of, uh, you know, how Walt is already getting a little bit a little bit sloppy, but um, I don't know. Uh, but they get the methylamine, and they are then packing up the RV. Uh, Walt is getting ready for his big Navajo sweat lodge weekend. And of course, that's an air quotes because he's not really going. Uh, they're going to drive out into the New Mexico desert and cook some meth. Um, so they load up everything, and then they, start, they try to start the RV. It does not start, and then it um, does start, but then it dies fully, and it's not going anywhere. So they decide to do the cook in Jesse's basement. They move in all of their cooking equipment and uh start the cook and then uh <laughs> it's totally jesse's fault but they realize that once they see people like coming into the house they realize that there's a uh, an open house for jesse's house which is currently for sale so they're in the middle of this giant meth cook where they're making four pounds of meth and there are people touring the house upstairs uh during the open house so um Walt basically says you know make sure no one comes down here i don't care how you do it but you know get them out of here whatever um, so then there's this there's this funny scene where uh, that I'm about to play for you, where a guy just wants to see the basement and uh, Jesse's standing watch at the basement door and says, not going to happen. And here's that scene. Excuse me. I'd just like to see the basement. Yeah, well, it was occupied. It's not a bathroom. Hey, I just want to see the basement. What's the big deal? Yo, you ain't seen the basement, bitch. You got that? Is that sinking in? Now beat it. All you all house is not for sale. Do we ever get a sense of why he's selling the house? Like, I don't remember that being... Did I miss that in the previous episode? Or or does it just happen all of a sudden that the house is for sale? 
So he he mentions to Walt in the uh, in the RV scene at the beginning of this episode that he uh, basically is haunted by the fact that two guys died there and he can't even uh, take a. I think he says he can't take a proper dump in the bathroom anymore because oh, it's right, probably right, haunted. Right. So I think it's the fact that they they killed um Crazy Eight and uh you know melted Emilio's body in the bathtub that is just making him think I need to get out of here. Yeah, that's fair. The other thing I was thinking about this whole thing about, you know, the RV not starting and them having to cook in in Jesse's house is I think that the RV has become like one of the symbols of this show. And it's amazing on the rewatch how little they actually cook meth in the RV in the first season. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, they don't cook a lot in the RV if at all, in the future seasons. I might be wrong about that. I don't think they do. I think the RV is done after this. I could be wrong about that, but I think you're right. I think it's, it's basically done. They have alternative places and ways to cook. So it is it is interesting. It's it's just an iconic symbol. I mean, so much so that it's our podcast art, right? The yeah. classic Breaking Bad RV, but it really doesn't play a huge role in the plot. It's just, a, I guess, a, an iconic symbol of everything that Breaking Bad represents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so uh, then we have Skyler confronting Marie, who just refuses to acknowledge that she even knows what Skyler's talking about. And later that night, this is after Walt's um, you know, wonderful sweat lodge escape, <laughs> uh, Walt comes home, uh, tells Skyler it was wonderful at the sweat lodge, lies through his teeth. And then she opens up to Walt and basically says, this is what's going on with Marie. She stole the tiara. I can't believe she would do that, etc. And there's this little conversation I'm going to play that I think is very telling. This is between uh, Walt and Skyler after Skyler tells him that Marie stole the tiara. People sometimes do things for their families. People sometimes do things for their families? And what, that justifies stealing? Wow. That must have been some sweat lodge. (laughs) Are you even listening to the words coming out of your mouth? What would you do if it were me? All right, so Josh, I think this is the second key part of his philosophy. People sometimes do things for their family. So this is basically his utilitarian, the ends justify the means. And then I do think it's interesting, too, he hangs that question out at the end. What would you do if it were me? Because um, we see... Walt drawing at least some sort of equivocation in his own mind between what Marie is doing by shoplifting for nice things for her family and Walt breaking the law, kicking math to get money for his family. So the people do things sometimes for their families um, is an interesting line. And Skylar also is surprised by it, which is why she says that must have been some sweat lodge. I think it's something that's going to drive Walt for the rest of the series. Um, I think not necessarily always at the surface, but but probably at his core. And so I think it'll be interesting to look back on as we continue watching the next couple seasons of the show. And then that's the penultimate scene of the of the season, because right after that, now we're closing it out, closing out the first season by uh, 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 we're closing out the first season back in the junkyard. Walt and Jesse are delivering to Tuco these four pounds of meth. It's a little bit different because it's blue, because it was using the methylamine precursor instead of the uh, the straight up pseudoephedrine. So Tuco is thrown off by the color. He's like, "What? I, this isn't what I what I bought." But Walt assures him it is chemically identical to the first batch, and it's here that we get uh, one of my favorite things Tuco has ever said. We use a different chemical process, but it is every bit as pure. Maybe blue, but it's a bomb. Oh, tight, 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 yeah. 
Zuko obviously loves it. He says, we're going to make a lot of money together. And then his henchman says, just remember who you're working for, talking to Walt and Jesse. Now, this inexplicably makes Tuco mad, who somehow interprets the comment as an insinuation that he is stupid or that Walt and Jesse are stupid. So Tuco's getting really worked up, and he looks almost violent, as we know he is want to be. And then Walt, who, of course, is now going by Heisenberg, says, hey, relax. You know, like, it's, it's all fine. Relax. I mean, we're not offended. And then Tuco laughs, tells his guy, Heisenberg says to relax. And then he smiles and laughs, his his guy laughs, and then he proceeds to beat his own man to within an inch of his life. He has his second henchman load up the unconscious man into the car as Walt and Jesse stand there agape. They can't believe what just happened. They can't believe that they're working with this guy. And then Tuco drives off. Drives off. Walt and Jesse are left wondering what type of deal they've made. And it's here, I think, that the title of the episode, a no rough stuff type deal, comes into play because they thought they made a no rough stuff type deal. They were supposed that was supposed to be the terms, and uh, now it's pretty clear that there's going to be some rough stuff involved. There's no more dialogue in the episode as Walt and Jesse just stand there wondering what they've gotten themselves into. But there is this song. Uh, it's called "Who's Gonna Save My Soul" by Gnarls Barkley. I'm gonna pl- play a uh, brief bit of that right here. All right, so that is a wrap on the first season of Breaking Bad. We cut the credits there as we listen to Who's Gonna Save My Soul. Josh, any final thoughts on this episode? Yeah, I have to say this is not my favorite episode of the first season. I think that there are several moments that just come off as a little bit goofy or a little bit out of character, as you mentioned with Walt when it comes to the stealing the methylamine. And the whole storyline with with Marie stealing the tiara and Skylar, I, I can see why that is important because it leads to that conversation between Walt and Skylar. But I don't love that whole through line in the first season. I just feel like it's, it's the stakes are really low compared to everything else that's happening. And I, I'm trying to gather if it was a way to keep Marie more top of mind as a character in the first season. Yeah. But yeah, you know, this, this episode to me, unfortunately doesn't end the season the way that I'd want it to. And again, that could also be because it was a, you know, writer's strike shortened season. So maybe we were supposed to get a little bit more closure in the first season and more of a cliffhanger sure. going into season two, because yeah. there are some really, really great cliffhangers in future end of seasons of the show. And I just don't think this one quite does it. But overall on rewatching the first season, I'm, pleasantly surprised by my enjoyment level and it's been really fun to break down everything about the show because it's giving me a deeper appreciation for this potentially being the greatest show of all time i'm not i'm not there oh, yet that's right i'm not there yet uh, but but i'm getting closer getting closer <laughs> how about you any final thoughts on on this episode in season one no i agree with most of what you said it doesn't it doesn't feel like the perfect capstone for the season i do think it's a good one it is not my favorite in the first season. It's also not my least favorite. Um, but like you, some of the stuff feels a little bit disjointed. I uh, I didn't really think about the methylamine robbery until you sort of pointed out the inconsistencies there, but I agree with that. And to me, the character of Marie has never seemed uh, like a fully fleshed out character. I think they 
maybe could have done a little bit more with her or a little bit less, I guess, as the case is. Um, and the way she's using this in this episode specifically just makes her feel a lot like a plot device. And there's there's not enough depth there, I think, to make it sort of worth the time that 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 storyline takes in the episode. But with all that said, I do think what this episode does well is articulates to us how Walt is changing and um, just how he's sort of been able to rationalize what he's doing as horrible as all of, it, all of it is and how manipulative he is now towards people in his life and how he has taken this um, very utilitarian and justify the means approach to how he's uh, trying to acquire money. And it's also, I think, um, you know, it, I think it also does drive home the point that he's not exclusively interested in just providing for his family. I think there is, there's a lot of this Walt misadventure that we call Breaking Bad that is about him uh, making his own choices for the sake of making choices and doing the illegal thing because it's the forbidden fruit that tastes the sweetest, as Hank says. So I do think it's a good episode. I think it's a, a fitting end, maybe not a perfect end of the first season, but a good one nonetheless. I think all we have left now, Josh, in this one is the the MVP vote. And then we'll have a tally for the final seat or the first season of Breaking Bad. So who is your MVP for this episode? Okay, so this is this is hard for me because I don't love this episode and I find that Walt, who is typically gonna get my first look at a possible MVP, because he seems a little bit off character here, I'm I can't give it to him in this episode. And then I thought, who else could I give it to? And I think because I'm I'm a little bit indifferent, I'm gonna give it to Tuco again. Because it's a small role in this episode. It's not as prominent as the one before, but he does a really nice job, the actor, balancing sort of the crazier moments and sort of the more like calm but still horrifying moments. Like even yeah. when he's calm, he's he's a scary character. And I think he, again, holds his own really well against the powerhouse actors of Aaron Paul and Brian Cranston. So I have to give it to him for this episode. But I think that, you know, Walt and Jesse will have plenty of, of time in the future to get my vote. How about you? Yeah, you know, I almost went with Tuco as well for a lot of the same reasons. I, I don't think this is Walt's or um, Brian Cranston's best episode. But I still think I'm going to give it to Walt because he has a lot of the screen time here and he shows character development in, I think, a really powerful way. I think Tuco's acting performance is a little bit better in this episode, but I think I just can't give it to him because of the lack of screen time. And he's basically just got those sort of bookend scenes um, in this one. And he's really, really good in those, but I think not quite good enough to take it from the central character. So I'm going to give my award to Walt here. Maybe we should have given it to uh, Skylar for her fake pregnancy performance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Just kidding. I did. Just I did kidding. Think, Sorry, I did Skylar. think about her because um, I think that 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 conversation with Walt uh, about you know people sometimes do things for their families, um, and I think her uh, her acting in the uh, the opening scene is really good. But I I think she suffers from the same problem for me that Tugo did, and that's just a lack of screen time. Yeah, that's fair. so. With that tally, then for the first season, we have Walt winning with four votes, Jesse and Tuco as runners up with three, and Crazy Eight and Skylar tying with two votes. Yeah, that's interesting to look back on because we have three pretty big characters who didn't get a single vote in the first season, and those are Hank, and then Walt Jr., and then Marie. And, you know, thinking about to the future of the show, I don't know if Walt Jr. or Marie will ever pick up votes, maybe. 
but I definitely know Hank will in the future. For sure. He's going to have a bigger role to play. And I was thinking about this more. I think Marie's main purpose in the show, at least up to this point, and maybe in the future as well, is that she connects Walt and Hank because she is the sister of Skylar and that right. then brings Hank into Walt's life. And so that right. might be her biggest purpose in the show. And, you know, Hank will certainly become a key figure as we continue down exploring this series. Yeah, I think you're totally right. But I think that Marie suffers from the same problem that Walter Jr. does that we've talked about before, whereas they're both sort of plot devices. Like, yeah. like the uh, the writers use those two characters to tease out key elements of other characters, whereas um, Hank, Walt, obviously, Jesse, to some degree, Skyler, they can all stand alone as like characters that say something by themselves without just being plot devices for other characters to say something or to show right. us something. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yep. So yeah. And I think that's, what's great about Tuco as well. Um, and crazy eight when he was there is same thing. You, you don't get the plot device, uh, idea with those guys. They're standalone characters. And I think that's what I look for when I'm looking for an MVP of an episode. All right, Josh, that's it. Episode seven of season one, the entire season is a wrap now. Thanks so much for joining us for our listeners. Thank you for listening. As I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to be changing the format of these a little bit for upcoming episodes. They'll be shorter and uh, be a little more scene and sequence and character centric rather than having chronological recaps. So if you want that, uh, give us a, a listen on our next few episodes. Uh, you can always let us know what you think we missed, breaking pod at vernacularpodcast.com. And while you're at it, go ahead and look at the other stuff on the Vernacular Podcast Network. Just head to vernacularpodcast.com to find out all about our great shows there. Stay tuned to this feed. We'll be dropping a new episode about season two, episode one, soon. Mm-hmm.